Okay. Good day to you all. Welcome to Generation Tech. I'm Todd Brinker. I am joined by my dad, Jack Brinker. How are you doing today, Dad? Doing great, Todd. And you? Not too bad. Not too bad. We're recording a, a day late because you've got a house under construction, <laughs> things going around, adding on, and uh, uh, the photos you sent look beautiful. Looks like uh, looks like a nice addition. Well, it's so. a one-room construction to right. put us around over an electric fireplace we bought several years ago, and Never got around to giving it a nice finished look. Right, you know? yeah. The fireplace was there on the wall by itself, and now you've built this this beautiful um, chevron pattern wood surround for it, and uh, and I guess and the and we're still waiting for the mantle. The mantle is the last piece that's going to go in, right? So right. Let's uh, hope the. Con- I guess it, for those of you who've dealt with contractors, it's like they are busy, busy people, and and it seems like it, you know. They said, well, we'll get here, you know, we're going to do it this day. Then they don't show up. We'll do it this day. They don't show up. They do it this day. They don't show up. So now you're on like the fourth or fifth day. And it's like, dude, show up. And it it upsets your life because you don't want to get started on some project like we put off this uh, program uh, podcast yesterday Yesterday. Mm -hmm. because I was expecting to be busy and I had nothing to do all day. They didn't show. Right. You know, know, it's like you don't want to leave to go get groceries. You don't want to do any. You got to sit there and wait. Right. So we've kind of concluded that we're going to go on leading our lives, and if when they call, I want to come to it. Hopefully, we work it in. But yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and, and you're retired. It's not like you do a lot, but you do have a routine, and some of it's not at your house. So it's yeah, you know. yeah. One of the things I'd like to talk about today is something. Uh, I, I'm musical, as you know, Todd. Right. Uh, all my life, I've played. Uh, not only organ in church at 11 years old and old and, and from then on uh, many many years and uh, and in the band in high school and I just and you you're a music lover too because you've collected a lot of music or at least listened to certain mm-hmm. people and and fans of them but one of the things that you surprised me a little bit with is you sent me these videos on uh, that had to do with jazz and I never heard you listen to jazz before. So I didn't know what to make of it, but uh-huh. the thing the thing that struck me most is the first thing you sent to me was kind of a revelation. Uh, it's like taking a, a music appreciation class by an aficionado of this particular genre. Right. And uh, to me, that added so much to the music, just to listen to this guy who was obvious because he was sitting at his own piano and had other instruments. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's got lots of videos. He's a YouTube guy. Um, Yeah. He's a, he's an obvious musician that just loves this genre. Yeah. He's a musician and a producer. Yeah. His name is Rick Beato. Yeah. And and, you know, it kind of reminded me of the movie about Mozart, about this guy, Salieri, who was very jealous you know, because uh-huh. it was so good, Mozart yeah. was, you know. Yeah, Salieri was recognized as a master in his time and one of the best ever. And then Mozart came along and he goes, no matter how hard I try, I will never be able to do what he does. He is just on a whole other level. And history yeah. has proven that out, right? And in fact, yeah, except I, for the movie, I don't know that most people would even know who Salieri was, right? 
Yeah, and for those who are maybe interested in listening to this guy, and I recommend it. It's called The Greatest Solo of All Time. That's what you search yeah. for. Greatest Solo of All Time, right? Um, and again, it's part of um, Rick Beato's um, uh, series on music. He he breaks down pop songs, and but but this one is actually just, it was stunning, and so I wanted to share it with you. Anyway, I, I was uh, familiar with Peterson, but had never really listened to him because it he came, got big in the time when I was extremely busy myself and didn't listen to much music at all. Just right. didn't have the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you were, you know, young family raising kids, busy working. And, and it's funny how a lot of people who love music are, are, you know, you'll be into music up to a certain point and then you have a family. And that's yeah. when, when your music interests and your other hobbies and everything just sort of dies as you're yeah. busy working and taking care of kids and just, you know, being part of a family takes a lot of time and effort. Yeah. 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 And, and I still never got back to listening to the next one that you sent me, which was Blues Etude. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I haven't forgotten it. The second and, one was just a recording of the music from a specific um, uh, concert. And it's actually Oscar Peterson and uh, uh, Niels Henning uh, uh Peterson, which is the bass player, upright bass player, but a different guitar player. Joe Pass is on the second one. Joe yeah. Pass was a a, a, a uh, virtuoso yeah. guitar player in his own right, and I, and yeah. I, I I need to interrupt you momentarily. Your mom walked in. Uh, Hold on. I'm sorry. Mike is coming at one fifteen to paint. Oh, I won't be here, so you need to be sure. Tell him not to move the couch. Okay, we'll be done by then. Okay. Did you hear that? Yes, I did. Okay, so we still got lots of time. That's good. We're done in 40 minutes because I've got to go. So. Oh, okay. So, no anyway, problem. Yeah, so anyway, the second one is just, it, it's not any commentary. It's just, a, just, just the recording of that song, Blues Etude, played. In uh, with with the uh, Oscar Peterson trio, um, but it's it and it's two of the three guys. It's not the same one, same recording that um, uh, you know because there were a lot of live recordings. But it's not the same one that Rick Beato breaks down. But I mean, same song. But yeah. obviously, they do. You know, being jazz players, it's it's um, you know it, each piece is sort of made up on the spot. I mean, they, they're they're playing what they're feeling at that moment, and so the solos and stuff are all different, which is part of the interesting thing about jazz is how they can play differently and still signal back and forth to each other as they're playing and jump in and out and make the music. So each individual, you know, uh, concert, each time they play it, it's, it's got another twist on it. Yeah. yeah. I, I would think as a professional musician, that's what would be interesting about jazz and much more uh, interesting than saying playing a pop song. Cause at most pop concerts uh, or rock concerts, the audience wants to hear it the way it is on the record. And so you play oh. the same song over the same way every time. And, you know, there's and, a certain beauty to precision, but it could yeah. get boring. Yeah. but And, you know, when you go to see some of these people live now, they, for their own sake, uh, make do variations on the song. Sure. Or on the songs uh, that, that they do. Yeah. And, and I think they're very aware of the fact that people want to hear them as they are, so there's a certain part of the song that they do pretty straight up, right? But but they'll they'll put little twists in just to have fun, you know. I think you have to. I mean, can you imagine getting up there and playing the exact same song the exact same way for 40 years? 
You know, yeah. I, I read an article and Billy Joel said that's why he kind of just gave up on it all, you know, and he does and he and he hates working in the studio because it's 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 um for him it's that's boring. There's no there's no audience. It's just, you know, piecing together a song with with uh, you know, and arguing with with uh uh, engineers and producers, and he just, he's just, I don't find any joy in that. So that's why he quit recording. And then he finally came back to doing um, concerts, uh, but he does them sort of, you know, at his age, on his time, when he wants to, where he wants to. You know, I think he play, he's he got a standing gig at Madison Square Gar- Garden, and he lives out on Long Island, and he helicopters into the city, plays his thing, and helicopters back home. By, by the way, uh, the uh, the last one that you sent me is titled... Uh, the tastes of uh, or tastes tasties. Uh-huh. Oscar Peterson blues piano lick. Yeah. Now, I, now I want to say something about that because before I even saw that, I was just listening to the first one. You know, I right. pushed the button and, and I didn't even know it said that. And I'm thinking to myself as he's doing this now, having you know, being a pianist myself, right? I am I am very familiar with the term lick, right? And and what that means to me, to me, uh-huh. and maybe not to the general audience, is what you do to do the kinds of things that Oscar does on the piano when you watch him. There's right. a whole lot of repetition in jazz, uh-huh. especially when they, they play really fast like he does. Yeah, repetition and, and variation. Now, in order to do those kinds of uh, things, and he had about four different styles that he merged uh-huh. together in this greatest solo of all time. Uh which, which is another uh, interesting thing to talk about, but I want to talk about the piano lick. Mm-hmm. Uh, after I finished taking piano lessons and kind of got out and thought more about and absorbed what I knew about music, I learned something about myself and pretty much every other musician uh, if, you've, if you've done it long enough. And that has to do with the fact that you, you teach your hands... To have memory, and you don't even, as a pianist or instrumentalist, even think about certain things because you do them so much that they right. just happen. They, you just sort of think they're gonna, you know, you're gonna do this, and bingo, your hands do it. And mm-hmm. and in fact, you sit there and practice. And a lot of people think practice is just kind of learning the notes. No, when you get beyond this, I mean, right. I I read way ahead. I uh, sheet music. I'd be playing stuff back at the top of the music and i'm reading down at the bottom right i mean i i you know to to me reading was an easy thing to do and i would enjoy the music more by understanding what's coming next and how to get into that right and you can kind of set up for it and and but, and, and you know that's part of uh, malcolm gladwell uh talked about having you know ten thousand hours of experience and you can be an expert at something and, yeah. <laughs> and and that's part of what becoming an expert is, regardless of whether it's, you know, playing an instrument or doing anything. It's yeah. it's being uh, strong enough at what you're doing that you're not necessarily consciously thinking of it while you're doing it. You're not thinking of the doing anymore. Now you're thinking of of the, you know, the the outcome of how it's going to be and how the presentation and the, you know, you're able to do that because the doing is just sort of on autopilot. Yeah. Now, now let me explain. A lick is not just a bar of music. A lick mm-hmm. is a, a, what I call a phrase. Mm-hmm. It's some continuous set of bars, maybe five, six measures, maybe ten. Right. It, it might be the whole page. I, I don't know. Depends yeah. on the music. Yeah. But what you do as as a musician is that you you go over that thing 
so much until mm-hmm. your hands do it almost automatically. Right. And then, and you do it at a slow pace when you're first learning it, but sure. you want to get all the keys just right, figure out the fingering. That's a key part to making everything work. Right. Is that you, you can be much more efficient if you get the, you get that fingering all worked out and do yeah. it right. Get your and hand in the you right got, position. Yeah, and once you got those things figured out, now you just do it over and over and over. You lick that thing until the piano is about worn out, you know? Uh-huh. And, and you may be too, but you, you want to get to the point where all you have to do is think about this lick, and bingo, it happens. Right. You know, you, you, your mind has gone off to what's the next lick and how do I move into it? Right. You know? Yeah, now you're and, thinking about transitions between rather than each individual piece that you're trying to type or uh, uh, play. Absolutely. And, and anyway, Peterson, you know, it's just be, it's so stunning when people see that, but especially that he just keeps going from one thing to another and he's woven all this stuff together into the, this complete set of music. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, much, it's so varied and has so much interest in it. Yeah. You know, when you listen to this guy now narrating it, he's he's already, if you'll notice it when you watch this thing, he's anticipating what's coming next. He knows. Yeah. <laughs> Just like the pianist is thinking right. up ahead. Well, he knows. he knows that the other two guys in his trio are also so advanced that they kind of know where it's coming, so they know when to jump in. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's the fun of watching jazz players play is because really good ones – do that you know it doesn't it do, doesn't take much of a signal from one to the other to say okay get ready i'm going to toss it to you you know well, or jump in here and make this you know fill this out for me or yeah and what makes jazz especially uh, uh different from mm-hmm. all the other genres of music is it's much more creative on the fly now there's a lot of repetition to to, to make this happen and thus the licks you know but uh you you get in, in this case, a trio that Peterson usually played with, the same drummer and, uh, and yeah, the Yeah, they, they play right? often together, although he, he mixed and matched and played with tons and yeah. tons of different people. But, oh, yeah. When, when but, you're good in the jazz field, you, you, it doesn't matter. You right. Just know, yeah. You know. Yeah, you, you find somebody you like to hang out with, and then you go out on, and, and tour around to different clubs with that group until you get tired of that group, and then you move on to the next group, right? Yeah. Um, or, or find some new friends or somebody gets busy and has to leave. And, and so then you just pull in another player. Now, um, now, I, now, I think that's why a Peterson doesn't get tired of his music like a Billy Joel would. Right. Because uh, yeah. Because it's not the same. It's yeah, different it, all the it, time. It's every time it's different. Yeah. You don't let anybody think that this is the only version of that song. It's just not that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean, you, you you may want to go back and hear a song you've heard before by him, but don't right. expect it to be the same. <laughs> exactly. It's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and people who are jazz aficionados don't go to, you know, a, a, a concert or a club and expect it to be the same. They would be disappointed if it was. They want to hear. Now, now, that's what they're it, there for. Right. Now, now, the exact opposite of this is classical music. Right. Classical music, big orchestras and symphonies that play yeah. uh, famous conductors like Schubert and right. Bra, uh, Brahms. And, mm-hmm. ironically, know, ironically, there's quite a few jazz musicians that are also excellent classical musicians. Yeah. You know, Wynton well, Marsalis plays, is, is a jazz, uh, you know, superstar and, and plays classical pieces um, as well, you know. Yeah. Uh, these are people who just know their instruments so well they can pretty much play whatever they want. 
Oh yeah. You know, whatever yeah. they want, whenever they want. I, in the course of looking for this, by the way, um, the tastiest Oscar Peterson piano blues lick or blues piano lick is, uh, Amy Nolte music. She's another uh, YouTuber and she just takes it down and breaks down the fingering for some of the pieces that are in there. And another, just interesting to watch her go through cause she breaks it down a little differently than Rick does. You know, he goes yeah. through and talks about, uh, uh, progressions, changes, t- uh, chords, and timing. She goes in and says, "Here's the fingering for how to play this particular piece," um, yeah. which is just you know it's interesting to hear both sides of it. Um, but while yeah. I was while I was looking for these, or shortly around that same time frame, um, I also found a uh, a live concert of um, um, uh, shoot sixties um, female singer. Shoot, what's her name? Um, Live with Graham Nash for a while. Um, now I'm blanking on her name. Uh, I keep wanting huh. to say Carly Simon, and that's not right. She was more 70s. This was... Um, anyway, it was a live concert that she did in the 70s, and she her backing band was Pat Metheny and uh, and a whole bunch of other jazz players. Mm-hmm. And, and it was really interesting <clears throat> to hear them like play her song, and yet then, you know, do little jazz flourishes and licks and, and stuff, you know, and it was still her songs, but everybody was, was playing like jazz players because that's what she wanted them to do. And that's what they were exceptionally good at. So it was real interesting to see them do that. Lyle Mays was, I think the piano player and, uh, Carl, Oh, dang it. I keep wanting to say, what, uh, uh, Joni Mitchell, Joni Mitchell. That's who I'm trying to think of. Why on earth I couldn't come up with Joni Mitchell's name. I can remember the backing band. Can't remember Joni Mitchell, the superstar, right? <laughs> Duh. Yeah. You by, know by when the, you're getting old, when. <laughs> by the way, I, it, I think we've probably talked enough about music here yeah. and, and some of the technology, if you will, that goes around about uh, making music. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I wanted to say, for me at least, the, an outcome of, of what we were just talking about is that even though I have not played music at the piano uh you know, but maybe once a year. I mean, that's I'm that's or if mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll even my my piano is covered with crap right now. So I was going to say the last couple times we've been out there for like a holiday or something, you haven't even gotten out and played. Like you used to do that every every Christmas, you'd sit down and play Christmas songs at least. Yeah. Now, now I, I really hate that because I really want if if it wasn't a mess, I would like to sit right. down and do stuff every once in a while. And right. fact, because I because I do go on. Uh, uh, Every other weekends to meet a j- group for a jam session over at the clubhouse, uh-huh. uh, I, I I need to sit down and review the songs I'm going to sing over there. Right. If nothing more than just to figure out what key I want to sing in. Right. You know, so I can tell them. <laughs> yeah. You know, but anyway, I was going to say, not having played for years, there's one song that I can sit down and play at least parts for you, and I couldn't play them well because my fingers are stiff and all this other kind of stuff. Not, yeah, well, you're not, just not in practice, it. right? But but it's embedded in my memory the last recital tune that I ever played. And mm-hmm. if I ever sit down at the piano, that's one I always go back to because I know it by heart. And and not that I think of what I'm playing. If my hands don't do it, uh, they'll they'll they, you know then it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But they do. They they've continued to have that hand memory that I was referring to for years now of not even playing. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know basically the place to position my hands on the keyboard 
and then let her rip after that. And, and you know, it, it'll go as far as it goes until it suddenly doesn't work anymore. <laughs> yeah, sticks with <laughs> you, know? you for a long time. And just like, but the, but it was so hammered into your memory. You practiced and played it so much yeah. that it's it's there. Now, you haven't told us the, what's the song. What's the, what's the song? Yeah, you said there's, the, there's one song. What is it? Oh, oh, the name of it. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a classical tune, etude, etude in G minor or something. I don't know. I can't remember the key. Uh huh. And it, and I don't know that I even know what the key is. My fingers just do it. You know. I don't, right. don't even think about what sharps and flats. They, it's just, right. It's it's just amazing to me. But it's just that's the way it works. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I wish I could remember for sure what. What the song was. I probably had the sheet music somewhere in one of my boxes here, but yeah. I don't even get that out, you know? Yeah. Well, you I know, it's it's like, right, literally, it's like riding a bike, right? It's like there are certain muscle memories that you develop on how to do something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, that's a good analogy. And it's like, there, yeah. I have my... Just, go ahead. Just about everybody's done that, so they understand, yeah, you don't yeah. forget once you learn. Right. Yeah, and yet you also remember learning and how, and you've seen others le- learn, and you see how wobbly and, and hard it is to do. And then once you got it, it's like, oh nope, I got it now. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It was uh, Pat Metheny, jo- Joni Mitchell, Jaco Pistorius was the bass player, Michael Brecker, um, uh, saxophone player. Uh, it, it was it really interesting Joni Mitchell concert um, uh, in the mid seventies. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, just as a FYI, that's available um, in enti- in its entirety on uh, YouTube. If anybody's uh, so inclined. Okay, well, why so. don't we tr- quickly transition because we're not going to be here too long yeah. today so, 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 to, to the main topic. Well, we did have one other topic we can go to briefly. Um, you sent me a YouTube, and I read an article about it that California is doing something uh, with all the heat. Um, that we're having. And in fact, this week is going to be the hottest week of the year. We're going to see uh, 110 and up temperatures in Southern California um, and not just out in out in Palm Springs and the Wade Desert, but like where I live, it's going to be 110. Uh, where my brother lives, which is about 30 miles further inland, it's expected to be 115 this week. And uh, And we're also experiencing a water shortage in Southern California. Now, most of our water comes to us via these canals that were built from the Colorado River and coming from the north to the southern parts of the state. And they're just open canals. And somebody had the bright idea of covering the canals, but not just putting a cover over them to keep the um, uh, evaporation down, but, but also do something else. You want to talk about it? You, should, you, you put the, the uh, article up here. Yeah, uh, basically, uh, they they have lots of big solar farms out there also, which mm-hmm. are taking up uh, useful land that could be used for something else. And uh, but probably I had prior to seeing this article, I had thought that solar panels over open uh, parking lots was all, always an ingenious idea in the Southwest mm-hmm. because we do a lot of that. I, I I remember putting as you you do every every day or every time you park in the sun you put this thing over your windows to try to keep some of the sun out of the car and keep the temperature down a little bit. Yeah, you get a steering uh, wheel that's so hot you can't touch it while you're trying to to drive out because yeah, it's been baking so, in the sun. So putting us these uh, solar panels over that parking lot's really neat because you get to park in the shade. In yeah. fact, everybody looks for a shady place to park. You know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, no, it's anyway, funny because in our parking lots here, we'll have like 
um, you know, every 10 or 15 spaces, they'll have a little like planter with like a tree in it. And when, when the parking lots start to fill up, you'll always see like, you know, three cars and then somebody parked out 10 spaces with a bunch of empty spaces between them because he wants to park over in the sheet, the, the shade of the little tree that was planted there. And then somebody sitting out at 20 spaces because he couldn't get the one at 10. So he, you know. The shade yeah. is more important than the walk in a lot of cases, which is it's yeah. funny. Yeah, you'll see a mostly yeah. empty parking lot with cars around every tree. But but anyway, the article we you were referring to uh, was written mm-hmm. by a guy apparently who uh, was responsible for uh, these canals, and basically they had a state requirement on them to uh, uh, do a certain amount of solar energy uh, or to generate it. And they start thinking about it. Well, why don't we kill two birds with one stone? We can preserve or reduce the uh, uh, evaporation of mm-hmm. our water, which is a big problem. I mean, I, I, I forgot what the loss is, but it's close to 10 percent, I think. Yeah, it's pretty uh, significant by to... the time it travels from, you know, well, it's traveling several hundred miles. It's, you know, yeah. it's it's like when I say several hundred, like 400 miles uh, minimum uh, to get to Southern California in, in open, you know, Canals and these canals are like twenty feet wide, and you know, in a lot of cases, multiple hundreds of miles long. And yeah. then you know they'll hit like a pipeline and a pumping station to get it up over mountains and and things like that. But the rest of it's just flowing water, and it and it's blocked off and fenced because it's fairly fast flowing water. And every so often, there's like these. Um, I don't want to say filters, but there's like things that block, go across it that, you know, if you, you could get killed if you went in there. So it's not like it's swimming water. It's, it's, it's blocked off. I don't, I'm, to be honest, I'm not quite sure why it wasn't built as a pipeline in the first place. It seems like given the amount of loss that that would be a a thing. It wasn't, it wasn't a pipeline. It's an open, open canal. Yep. Uh, Just another river. It's just a man-made river. Yeah, it is. That's basically what it boils down to. Except. I think it was a canal because of a maintenance standpoint, uh, you know, pipes rust and mm-hmm. there's a lot of issues with them uh, that, uh, but they still use pipes, as you said, to go over mountains. Right, yeah. Whatever. And there's a, there's a fair amount of maintenance that has to happen on the canals and stuff, too, as they go through it. But, but they but they, they go in and clean out any growth of weeds and stuff along the edge. Sure, with, algae with or anything like that. You sort know, of that, trim. And, and at the same time, top off the canals, which mm-hmm. in time will erode, and uh, they, they don't have enough margin at the top. So, you know, various kinds of things like that, that it's just easier to maintain, I think. Yeah. Uh, and they're out in the desert. But anyway, they uh, have already implemented a trial project uh, where I forget how many miles uh, of canal, but they've covered it with solar panels uh, so that uh, this, this, they have... That didn't have to use, uh, uh, I mean, the solar panels currently that are in existence in California are over desert land in, in most cases, but at least if you wanted to, you could use that land for some other purpose, uh, uh, you know, underneath the solar panels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But the, the real benefit is to try to keep the, uh, uh, or improve the efficiency of the canal. Right. At the same at the same time that you're not taking up other unused spaces with solar panels, so the the two things seem to be complementary, and uh, so their trial was to look at you know how uh, what what are the issues does it does the moisture 
affect the panels, uh, you know, like cause corrosion or anything like, like that from being close to that. But yeah. it's an extremely dry climate, so I don't think that's going to be an issue because they're not going to lay them right on top of the water. They're going to be elevated above the the actual edge of the canal. So they'll the, the, the only other issue I could think of is you do get winds out there sometime. If, if you had wind damage and it started to drop some of your solar panels in the canal, then you might have an electrical short circuit that would damage some stuff. Yeah. But, but you know, that, that's the whole purpose is to check out whether this idea really uh, does provide some uh, more benefits than it's mm -hmm. worth, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I actually thought, I mean, I understand the idea of trying to cut down on the evaporation, but I've always wondered, you know, we got all this water moving. Why don't they put like water wheels in there and generate electricity from it? Because it's yeah. all gravity fed. So why aren't we just running, creating power off of the aqueduct? By the way, too, I was just looking while you were talking um, about the some specifics about the aqueduct. And this probably explains why it's not in a pipe. Um, some sections are 110 feet wide. It's, it's averages at about 30 feet wide and 30 feet deep. And wow. it, uh, moves at five and a half miles an hour, which is bloody fast for, for water and yeah. a capacity of 13,100 cubic feet per second going down the channel. And its large and its largest pumping station at Dos Amigos, which is what goes up over the uh, grapevine, which takes it from the uh, upper desert down into Los Angeles, is fifteen thousand four hundred fifty cubic feet per second. Yeah, so well, that's know, a massive it, volume of water. Holy yeah, moly! Yeah, in fact, it sounds just really suitable to hydroelectric generation. Yeah. Yet, yet that's going to slow the speed of the of the flow. You know, yeah. So that it would be a trade-off there of just how they they might have to make the canal wider if they were going to do that. But right. They surely could harvest that that potential. You yeah. Know? Well, I'm not saying having water wheels. And and also that's the other thing is to me is why aren't more um uh you know we we I mean in, in an aqueduct it doesn't matter but you know like in in the in river situations there's been a lot of complaints about dams causing problems for migrating fish and we have now some fish that are going extinct because they're their natural habitats have been destroyed because of dams. In fact, they've even gone back and taken some dams out after they built them, um, you yeah. know, in, to, trying to protect some of the wildlife. Why aren't they using water wheels, you know? I mean, they use those as grist mills and stuff, and you can stick a, a, a generator on, on that just as easily as you can on a dam. Why don't they do that more often? I don't understand, because that doesn't then block the water. It just, you know, use the power of the moving water. Yeah, and there's space between them. The fish can surely find their way around them. Oh, you know? sure. Yeah, you know, and I'm not I saying, mean, you know, water wheel, water wheel, water wheel, the entire length of a river or something. That's stupid. But, um, but you know, you could certainly put them every so, so you know, scattered distances across the, the California aqueduct. I mean, it's 400 miles long, for goodness sake. Um, you know, <laughs> it's just, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, 444 I, miles long. Yeah, I, I do think that somebody should have, while they're looking at the solar panels over that, think about uh, the power generation capabilities and what the mm -hmm. trade-offs are there. Because, you know, if you can if you can make things work together and, and achieve uh, some other goals, you know, the, 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 the real issue, I think, with the electricity is if they put in a power station along there somewhere, mm -hmm. You, you know, you're going to have to do it. You'll want to do it close to where it's going to be consumed because then then you don't have to transmit the stuff through transmission lines and uh, accrue a lot of losses. 
Yeah. So as as that water gets down those cement lined canals coming into L.A., uh, you'd think that that they'd put some uh, some kind of power in there but i've seen a lot of those things set empty for a long time they're more flood control i think yeah well we also have flood control that's a separate uh thing and they look very much like the like the california aqueduct but but uh yeah ironically when we do get water here um because it's it's naturally a desert there's not a natural runoff for a lot of stuff and there's large flat areas where water would just spread out and Uh, subsequently, we've put houses in those areas, and so now they have to have flood control to channel that water into, you know, in our case, in this area, it's the Santa Ana River, and yeah. so all that flood control is there. But, you know, uh, which, which my brother river? lives in what was a flood basin, you know, yeah. and, and in fact, I remember in my lifetime that area being, that entire area being underwater. Yeah, um, I, I used to chuckle about that name, Santa Ana River. There, yeah. There's hardly a trickle if there is that even in most places most of the year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it really was. It, it, it was the. I mean, even calling it the Santa Ana Creek would have probably been a, a, a stretch because it was literally a trickle in, in at times. Because I know out mm-hmm. in San Bernardino, I knew a guy who was on the district water board, and basically mm-hmm. that that river uh, went underground, and they were pumping it out for the whole city of San Bernardino and Redlands and that whole mm-hmm. Inland Empire area. Uh, yeah, his his water company, the one the board he sat on, right, whatever it was. Yeah. Well, I know that over here, and I'm a little bit further east from where we used to live, I'm sorry, west from where we used to live, that the river flows a couple miles north of me here. And most of the time now, I would say it looks like a, you know, stream. And by a stream, I mean maybe three to six feet across and maybe 10 to 12 inches deep. Um, and it's flowing. And then the, um, uh, you know, but the the actual river bed is significantly wider than that, and it swells up every once in a while when we get a rain up in the mountains or snow, you know, a heavy snow melt. Unfortunately, we haven't had a lot of that lately. So, yeah. So, and I haven't been over there in a couple of years. So, you know, right now it could be, you know, nothing or or a trickle again. Yeah. So. So, anyway, anyway, so the tech news, the actual direct tech news, not the, I guess we talked about technology for creating electricity around flowing aqueducts and uh, and, and reducing evaporation. And we talked about, uh, I don't know, it's a stretch to call the music conversation technology, but we'll we'll pretend like it was. So Apple announced their far out event. It will be on September 7th. And there's lots of supposition about what's going to be in there. And also lots of, hmm, what would you like to be in there type of things, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, go ahead. I was just going to say there's a lot of speculation now because Apple likes to advertise their events in kind of a a tricky little ways. They've they've been doing this for years. Yeah, when they put the event out, they always, there's a little bit of a, and it's usually very subtle as to like what is gonna what we're gonna talk about right yeah so, what does far out mean yeah yeah so other than the john denver's saying yeah far yeah. out well in march of 2022 the event that they had was called peak performance and what they talked about was 
the iPad Air got the M1 processor, which is the same processor in the Pros and in, in the Macs. And the iPhone SE, which was the least expensive, um, still is the least expensive iPhone, got 5G. And then they introduced the Mac Studio, which is the fastest computer that they currently sell with the M1 Ultra chip in it. Uh, and then they also teased that they're not done yet, that there would be a Mac Pro coming. And we still haven't heard that yet. So, you know, a lot of people yeah. are thinking we're going to hear that before the end of the year, but probably not in the September event. The September event is pretty much going to be phones. Or yet toward the holidays. Right, yeah. So in 2021, the Unleashed event was out. And that's when Apple unleashed the M1 chip. And so that was yeah. the first uh, M1 which has been, you know, like a sea change for for the Mac world, um, switching from Intel to to Apple Silicon. Pure Apple Silicon, finally. Right. Yeah. In in September of 2021, California streaming, and that was um, the unveiling of the iPhone 13. And mm-hmm. then in October of 2020, the event was titled High Speed. And it was the introduction of the iPhone 12, which was the first iPhone that had uh, all – they were all 5G devices, so high-speed connect- connectivity. And I think they, they mm-hmm. repeated throughout that whole thing multiple times, you know, 5G service from Verizon, you know, 5C high-speed mobile service, you know, it was blah, blah. Well, there was a spiel there that was kind of co-branded with, with Verizon that they, they got a lot of ribbing about. Anyway, uh, let, by a I think they were about the last ones that put 5G in the devices. They were. <laughs> yes, uh, Apple. Typical was... Apple. Yeah. And, and, and it's really understandable why, because, you know, it's sort of a lot of hoopla by the by the uh, uh, phone companies that, that provided that network. Right. Uh, to try to get people to use it so they could charge more money. That was really yeah. what it was all about. Well, and T-Mobile has not charged more. They just added that in as your service if you had the phone, but it was certainly an opportunity for them to sell more phones. You know, and if you buy your phone from your from your uh, uh, cell company, they get a, a piece of that price too, right? So, sure, you know, it was yeah. it was a revenue thing, um, and there was a big pitch. And Apple was really late to the game because the the five G chips that were available drew a lot more power, which meant that your battery life was going to go down. And Apple just wasn't willing to sacrifice battery life for for what they felt was not a significant increase in speed. And well, most people who have 5G don't really notice much of an increase in speed either, unless you happen to live in one of the places where they have the uh, the millimeter wave, which is significantly faster. But Yeah. Or, or if you're not a big data user, you know, you wouldn't notice sure. it anyway. Yeah. If, Although, if you just, you know. I mean, just, and just for a phone, it doesn't make much sense because voice uh, phone networks are very low bandwidth. You know, right. Yeah, this was uh, all about data, and yeah. you know, and and quite honestly, you know, the the uh, a, a most people that's what they use more nowadays than than calling on the phone. It's you know, oh, they're, yeah. they're messaging and browsing the internet as they walk around watching, uh, you know, TikTok videos and and FaceTime and or, or GP, uh, GP. Facebook. Yeah, you know, satellite communications. Is- yeah, GPS. You want to be able to do that. Yeah, uh, although GPS doesn't use data because that's a direct radio from a GPS that, satellite. That's right. That's, but that's true. it does. If you're using it with a map, it does maps. because the maps have to be downloaded. You know. Yeah, that's that's a big big data. Yeah, yeah. Right. Unless you're uh, unless you bought an app that pre-downloads the maps, which I did yeah, by the way. That to, 
<laughs> yeah, and you want to do that fast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's another story. But I did that. I, I went and found an app. Uh, in fact, did a couple different uh, kind of reviews of different apps and settled on one and paid for it and downloaded uh, a full set of uh, North American maps and then the detailed maps for North and South uh, uh, California where I live. So that mm-hmm. if I'm in a place where I don't have uh, connectivity, I still have maps. Ah, yeah. And I and it's not often, but I had uh, there's there's places where like when you're out on a hike and stuff where you're out kind of in the wilderness a little bit and you just don't have any connectivity. I still want to have a map that works. And I don't By the- I, I don't use it day to day. I use my Apple Maps or Google Maps or Waze uh day to day, but I yeah. have some maps downloaded on my phone. I have room on the phone. I just figured, you know what? I'll just download them and that way I've got them. You, you just brought back to mind when the maps things first came out there was also a big thing to do about you were going to have maps inside of malls and stuff like that that basically Mm -hmm. led you to products if you search for something you could show you every place in that mall where you could buy something of that ilk right you know hasn't happened that kind of no, and I, I'm wondering if the pandemic didn't say, oh, people aren't going to go to the malls anymore, at least for a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you and know? I think even before the pandemic, the writing was on the wall for a lot of brick-and-mortar stores, and malls have been slowly dying. You know, unless yeah. there's a mall like the Mall of America that's, you know, sort of an event to go to, right. uh, the average little mall in a neighborhood is just – most of them aren't real healthy anymore. Uh, yeah. You know? I mean, there's a certain segment of the market who loves to just go shopping, you know? Right. Uh you know, yeah, we get, are not that segment, your, by the way. Get get together with your friends and go do it. That sure. usually means young women, I think. You know, yeah. At least I see it that way, but maybe not. Yeah. Uh, well, I think too. There was an age where the place you'd go hang out was the mall. You know, even if it was right. guys and girls, and a lot of malls have a theater attached to them. So you'd go see a movie, and then you'd hang out and maybe go pick up, you know, a Mrs. Fields cookie or something like that, which is a typical mall place. And yeah. You know, Hang out in the food court with your friends. And tell you what, in Southern California, malls are air conditioned, so um, malls and theaters. So yeah. when it gets hot, malls and theaters get much more popular. Oh yeah! In fact, uh, the other thing that, that I remembered about that mall there in California was uh, we were sitting in a booth at an, on the second story uh, that overlooked a, a lobby, kind of down below, mm-hmm. and lo and behold. A uh, famous singer at the time, and his name was Jimmy something. I can't recall his name now. But anyway. I Jimmy Rogers. Jimmy Buffett. Rogers. Jimmy, Jimmy Rogers. Jimmy Rogers. Okay. There you go. So anyway. Uh, Honeycomb. He, he was performing, and I thought, hey, that's kind of cool <laughs> over there. You know, he was obviously stood out from the crowd because of his outfit. Sure. You know. He's a performer. And, uh, yeah. And so, uh, you know, I thought it was kind of cool. I don't know if you remember that, but I don't have a memory of it. But ah, but anyway, I thought that that was kind of neat. They would have these uh, various entertainers come in to and yeah. publicize because that would get people into the mall, and hopefully sure. they'd come for the show and then do a little shopping. You know, that was a big deal in the '80s too. There were. Um... Uh, a couple young female stars, Debbie Gibson and, and I can't remember uh, the, uh, Tiffany, and they would they would famously do like mall concerts, and you know and again, you know, do a do a short show in the mall and then get people in for that, and then they would you know like you said hopefully stay and buy some stuff. 
So anyway, sort of back to uh, what we expect. Obviously, the new iPhones will come out. Uh, we expect i iPhone 14. 14. Um, yep. Rumor is that there will not be a, an, an iPhone 14 mini, but that they are adding uh, an iPhone 14 Max. Up to this point, if you wanted the Max phone, the biggest phone, you had to buy the Pro model, which was a significant markup. Now they're saying that there'll be a, a regular and a Max phone at both the Pro level and the base level. Um, one of the rumors is that the Pro level will get the new um, uh, new chip, the new A, I'm not even sure which number we're on, A16 chip or something like that, and that the old that the non-Pros will keep the A15 chip that, that is shipped in the iPhone 13s. Um, so but we'll anyway, see if that... it, it sounds to me like it's more of the same kind of thing, because as I read this, there's more fixes or minor tweaks and stuff to the photo side of the, the thing than there is to anything else on the, on the device. They're saying there's going to be a, uh, one of the wide angle cameras on the back is, is supposedly supposed to get a 40, uh, megabyte sensor on it. So you'll yeah. be able to, uh, crop in and do, uh, digital zooming. Much better. I, I, I mean, they've been doing this photo upgrades for a long time now, and I'm I'm seeing it. I, I thought it would come to an end by now, but it hasn't. Yeah, it hasn't. And to be honest, as a you know fairly serious hobbyist in foot in photography, the you know oh, each yeah, time I buy it just for that. Well, no, but what I'm saying is is that the the you know each upgrade is fairly significant. You'd think they kind of reach the end of where they can get, oh. but they, but they oh. keep finding oh, yeah. they keep finding other areas to improve in, you know. So each time the improvements are in slightly different ways. Better um, pictures, less effort, right? Right. Yeah. And you know, and and doing things that are traditionally difficult like, you know, low lower light photography and and getting contrast in people who's who have who have darker skin so that they, you know, don't so you can see the features on their face better. And, you know, as as a a white guy with with a you know my family is as pale as I am, you know that's not a, <laughs> not necessarily an issue for me. But you know I coach a lot of kids, and it's like I want to get good pictures of all of them. I want you know I want my team to, I want to be able to recognize who I'm taking pictures of, and so just getting better pictures and better contrast in pictures yep. um, is you know I, I think a big step forward. And so um, you know my my current phone is an iPhone 11, so I have not had a a, a reason to upgrade for you know a couple generations. But, uh-huh. uh but I think Potential I'm customer. Yeah, huh? I think I'm possibly due for a 14. So we'll see when it comes out. Uh, you know, and uh, and the rumor is the prices are going to go up a little bit. Shock. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. a given anymore. You know, everything yeah. goes up. Yeah. yeah. That's that's another one. Now it's interesting. I've heard some suppositions about the name. You know, this is the the uh, far out event, right? And right. and uh, a fairly good um, source is the uh, Chinese analyst Ming Chi Kuo, and he has said that this that this phone will have built into it a the ability to do uh, direct satellite phone calls for emergencies. Yep. The issue is, he said, the service agreement, how they're going to do that. I think Apple would like that to be like a, you know, not a monthly ongoing thing that you have to pay extra for on top of your regular thing. I think Apple would like it to be an emergency services only type of thing, you know. Well, I I think this is all being driven by Amazon. In what way? Well, in the sense that they have that low Earth orbit satellite system. Uh, 
that is going to give them an opportunity to do worldwide direct satellite communications you know, around the world. And they also, it's rumored to have a phone that's coming at some point. Amazon? Are you talking about oh, Musk? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I said the wrong thing. I'm sorry. I back off. E- Elon not, Musk's system. Musk's. Uh, yeah. They're Starlink uh, satellites. That's the one. What, right. What you, what'd you call it? Elon Musk. And Starlink. The, and Starlink yeah. is their, is their, 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 uh, their internet system that they sell that's You're direct right. satellite. Okay. You're right. I, I didn't okay. mean Amazon. Okay. I, I was not. just a little puzzled when you said Amazon. Um, Amazon. Although I wouldn't I said, be a bit surprised if Amazon was also investing in something like this. They've got a space system, or not they, Amazon doesn't, but Jeff Bezos has a, a space system, and he could, he could do something similar without too much difficulty. Well, the real well, problem in, in that is that joke, in order to do but, these low-Earth low orbit things has to do with the entire world communities uh, right. and, the, and the ability of space to accept more yeah. stuff. Litter. You know, <laughs> litter, yeah. Yeah, because no, the, there's been cartoonists joking about the fact that they won't be able to launch rockets anymore because you have to punch a hole through the the bits and pieces of of crap that's floating around in space. In fact, there's been a lot of complaints about, um, uh, at least in our press over the last couple of years, about the Chinese and the Russians, you know, uh, blowing up stuff. Well, and then there's thousands of little micro particles floating around it faster than a bullet that can take out a spaceship well in fact the russians intentionally we think uh through created a lot of debris by blowing up a satellite now, right whether that was accidental or not i don't know yeah you know so it's just rumors there yeah you know? yeah well one but, of the things i read was a supposition they were actually testing an anti-satellite weapon and so they used it to see if how it would work and it blew up the satellite <laughs> You know, it's like, yeah. great. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there, there could be a war started over this. It's it's a new thing. It has the same kind of problems that the oceans have. You know, there's a general world sort of agreement that you can go different places. But then there's like the Strait of Taiwan, which is in contention right now because China says that's ours, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a it's an area where we all share spaces. Yeah. And. and and uh, and if uh, somebody doesn't want to share, <laughs> what are you going to do about it? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's you you uh, cajole and try to get everybody to play friendly, but it's not always easy. And I'm sure they have complaints about things that we do and how we do it in space as well. Oh, of course. You know, it's just, you but know, it's our, just... we know we don't hear about that. We only hear about the terrible things they do. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. You know, I mean, was it uh, a couple months ago there was in the news a piece of space junk crashed into the moon? And initially they tried to say it was part of Elon Musk's SpaceX stuff. And Musk got upset and said, no, it's not. And so then they actually started tracing back like the path that it took to get to the moon and how what. And they said, oh, no, it's a Chinese spaceship. And the Chinese have not, to my knowledge, said yes or no either way. I think they just ignored it. But. Hmm. Um, you know, and again, it crashed into the moon, but stuff's crashing into well, the earth all the time and not all of it burns up. You know, sometimes yeah, these are it's big one chunks. Of, it's one of, it's one of those things is that if you are, uh, ever decide to get, allow yourself to be hurled into space, yeah. that is going to be a high, uh, increasing risk and sooner or later, yeah. somebody is going somebody or many people. Uh-huh. Could lose their lives over such something yeah. really simple because uh, it doesn't take much when you're traveling at thousands sure. of miles 
an hour and you hit a piece of uh, that's that's going as fast in the opposite right. direction or whatever, you know. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, we've had holes punched in the. Uh, in the space station from bits of debris and, you know, and then there's just natural debris. There's little micrometeors out there that, that are zipping around. It's just like a pebble, sure. just a pebble, Oh yeah. but a pebble that, that, you know, got knocked off a planet from an explosion or a collision or something is going, you know, literally faster than a bullet. And so, yep. um, yeah, it's dangerous. It's dangerous stuff. And, uh, you know, I wonder sometimes about the, um, uh, the, uh, you know, space shuttle, we had issues with the heat shield being damaged and stuff. And it's like, well, you know, is that space debris can cause that kind of damage too. So, you know, and everything that we go goes up must come down, right. You know, back to earth and, you know, at least everything carrying people and those rely on heat shields to protect them as well. So by, by the way, that's one of the things that supposedly, uh, Elon Musk's, uh, close near earth satellites have a capability to do. They know uh, how well they are doing in space and how long they can stay there. And when their life is near over, they force them down into yeah. the atmosphere to burn up. Right. And his and those and his his satellites are small, so they actually do burn up. Yeah. You know, they're not yeah. like uh, pieces of well, space station that that actually hit the ground. But e even so, they bring them down into the oceans. Now right. that doesn't mean it still can't hit somebody because nothing totally burns up out there. And so little pieces do come filtering down, and and hopefully, uh, if you if you're going to control have yeah. a controlled one, you do it over the oceans. Yeah. Well, and some of that does actually they burn up, and there's nothing but soot that, that's left. I mean, they literally burn up. But all oh, that, yeah. But if, if if you can guarantee that, that's, right? But you're absolutely right. There are you know that they try to if they bring it down intentionally, they try to do it over the ocean where there's at least you know minimal chance just because we're not out there. But that doesn't mean that if it hits the water, it's not going to you know land on a whale, you know, uh -huh. <laughs> I mean, oh, it's, yeah. there's, there's always a risk. So, um, we've gone a little past my time and I've got to get going cause I have a dental appointment for a puppy dog. So, um, we're going to oh, have yeah. to cut it short today. So thanks anyway, for joining us. We'll be back probably uh, a week from Wednesday tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Cause uh, next week the, the Apple event is on Wednesday. And so we're thinking we'll probably record either after that or Thursday morning. So, um, show will be a little bit delayed next week uh, intentionally so that we can actually talk about what Apple has uh, announced rather than what they might announce. So yeah, anyway, and, it's and honestly, fun. we didn't talk much about what they might announce other than phones. Um, you know, uh, there's That's rumors right. that there'll be new uh, AirPods Pro um, and then the phones, obviously, and iOS 16, which uh, there's been a lot of talk about iOS 16. You can probably go find that and read it if you want. Yeah. Um, and then there will be a new watch too. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. They're talking about new watches cause that pretty much goes hand in hand with the phone, at least as Apple sells them. Then they're saying that, uh, any other stuff, iPads and, and new Macs and stuff will probably come in an announcement in October. So we'll see, um, if that comes in October, but anyway, Oh, go uh, ahead. I was just going to say as the final thing at the expecting a discussion of Steve jobs legacy on this, uh, that same day. Really? Uh, so that ought to be fun for those it, people who remember Steve. You is know? it a specific anniversary that they're trying to celebrate or something? Uh, I don't know. I think yeah. it's just kind of a memorial of, yeah. of his I remember uh, reading something about that because they're saying that his wife and Johnny Ive will be back 
to yeah. uh, you know be in the area, which you know yeah. Ive is no longer with the company, and and obviously she's still, um, yeah. although she's never been involved in the management of the company, still has a lot of um, uh, at stake with the company, but probably not only uh, emotionally but financially. Yeah. So. Anyway, it says Kara Swisher is the interviewer of three people: uh-huh. uh, the president, Cook, uh, jo- John Ivy, and and uh, Steve's wife. Uh, just Marine said that. Powell jobs. <laughs> so the three of them. Right. So, and so something else to look forward to. Cool. Anyway. It'll be interesting, oh. too, because Johnny Ive doesn't do interviews very much. So we'll see how, how talkative he is now that he's not at Apple. <laughs> you know, and recently, yeah. recently he they 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 ended their contractual deal with his with his design company. So right. although Apple is famously even People who've left Apple are, you know, at least the high-end people are famously kind of tight-lipped about how and what went on there. Um, I'm sure they have, you know, they've signed legal documents to say we're not going to talk about the process or anything else. You know, we can talk about personalities and grudges if you want, but you can't talk about, you know, how we do things and what's in the lab and things like that because then they'll still get sued. So. So anyway, yeah. look, looking forward to the event. I don't know what the time is. Scale is for it right now. Yeah, ten o'clock, and they usually go for an hour to ninety minutes, something like that. And you that's can your, catch that's it. That's what your time. Ten o'clock Pacific time, correct? Okay. And they uh, they usually uh, stream it on Apple.com. So if you want to go there, you yeah. can find it. So, alrighty. Thanks for Have joining us. We'll be back. <laughs>